introducing the Brain Can Do podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Brain Can Do podcast. I'm your host, Ben Stevenson. Last week, I touched briefly on one of the things that we're really interested here at Brain Can Do, which is leadership development and training. And it's something I've got a particular interest in. Came about really a few years ago when I was looking at prefects at uh, different schools that I'd worked in and started to think about what support does school give prefects. It's something that is highly valued. A lot of students spend their whole sort of school career wanting to develop into these roles and it's something that they sort of aspire to, to be. And then when we let them become prefects, it sort of swing or swim a lot of the time. We don't necessarily give them the training that we would in other roles and expect to go, well, we've selected you to be the prefects, go and do your thing. Whereas actually, leadership is a skill that needs to be honed, it needs to be developed, it needs individuals to reflect upon what they're doing. And all of these things are stuff that we look at here at Brain Can Do and part of our our programmes that we deliver. We have an emotional intelligence for student leaders course that we've been delivering for over three years now. And the same is true for teachers. And that's what I want to talk about today in particular, is looking at the role of organisational culture and leadership within school and with education. Because I think the nature of schools means that individuals still tend to lean towards a potentially outdated hierarchical model of leadership. So I wanted to explore that idea with someone outside of the world of education and my interview today comes from a conversation with Matthew Simons. Now Matt is a delivery director at ThoughtWorks who are a global software consultancy company solving complex problems with technology. But that isn't what I wanted to focus on. What really interests me about ThoughtWorks is their culture and as you'll hear from my interview and conversation with Matt is that the company was founded on a really unique idea and ideology and that clearly then seeps through into everything they're doing. So here's my conversation with Matt about his career, his motivations and in particular his thoughts on leadership and culture. So Matt, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm all right, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, very well, thank you. So so you're a delivery director at ThoughtWorks. So I guess my first question is, what actually does that job job entail and what do you guys do? Yeah, okay. Well, ThoughtWorks is a, a software consulting organization um, that works with public and private sector organizations to help them uh, improve the, their, the outcomes that they get through using technology to, you know, um, change the way that they do business or improve the service they deliver to citizens or whatever it is. And so um, our teams are contracted out to all these different organizations. Um, and I look after a all the teams that we have working in the government sector in the UK. Um, so uh, across central and local government um, and other sort of uh, arms linked bodies, that sort of thing, making sure that when they um, when they land up, they um, we have the right team for the job that as the as the relationship progresses, that um, uh, we're continuing to increase the value that we're able to to deliver. If something goes wrong, <laughs> I can I can get involved to get things back on track, um, and really just to rep- make sure we're representing the best of, of what we have to our clients. Um, and I do that across. I think there's probably about maybe 10, 10 different um, uh, government clients currently in our portfolio in the public sector right now, and look across most of those. 
Okay, so a, a massive scope there in terms of what you do with your job. How how does one get into a career like what you're doing? <laughs> well, uh, I, I've I've been at ThoughtWorks for a long time, 21 years it'll be um, this year, and um, I think probably the the thing that drew me into um, software was a an aversion to strangely enough um, what I studied in university, which was civil engineering, civil and environmental engineering. Um, uh, and the the aversion was um, I went in expecting because I didn't do much research, <laughs> expecting that environmental engineering would have me uh, making an impact every day and being at the center of 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 changing the world's attitudes to its 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 relationship with the with the living world and all you know i had I had very big sort of almost like ecological ambitions. And what I found out is that when you get a degree in environmental engineering, um, you spend a lot of time designing sewered sewers and <laughs> and um, wastewater treatment facilities and um, remediating groundwater and and that sort of stuff, which is really important work. But it is not. You would never use the word dynamic. It, it is very um, it's very slow paced. It's very backwards looking. It's very um, incremental. Um, and my experience, my first experiences in the world of work as an environmental engineer, um, it became clear to me that I had. I had 10 to 15 years of really hard graft as an apprentice before I would be allowed to do anything that was creative or or um, or um, self-directed or anything like that. I, I was I was going to have to be in the, for the for the grind. And as a as a 21, 22 year old, that was not um, lo- looking at you know a 40, 50 year career sp- spread out ahead of me. That was not. That was not right for me. <laughs> I wanted something where I could I could uh, more quickly get to the leading edge of my profession, um, work in a faster ch- a place where there's more change, have a bigger impact as an individual and as the teams I was on. And the software industry is is uh, was that and all that and much more. And so um, that's where I that's where I latched on and that's where I've stayed. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And I, I love that. It's a common theme when I talk to people about career paths are very rarely just linear are they in terms of you don't start with a degree and the dream job in mind you go in lots of different directions absolutely yeah yeah and even within within my time at ThoughtWorks 21 years um the re- the reason I've stayed so long is in that time I've had six or seven different careers uh, I've, I've just it's been a I joined it it was a very small company about 100 people over 8,000 people around the world now and so um I've just I've never had felt the need to leave for more challenge or more variety because it's always been coming at me faster than I could <laughs> than I could cope with it really. So um, why bother? Why bother with the the change of, of to a new place when you're when you're still challenged and, and engaged in the one that you're at? So that's my story, really. <laughs> so it sounds like for you, it's, it's I love that word that that challenge. So what is it that gets you sort of excited in the morning? What does a challenge look like for you? Uh, it comes back to that word I've already used a couple of times is, 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 um, impact the chance to, the chance to, the chance to make an impact in something that is important, um, in some way. And, um, that's been at the heart, I think of my, my motivation for, for a long time. Um, and, um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to answer your question. In terms of thought works, my understanding, what I've sort of been told is that you're not a traditional sort of anything company in lots of ways in terms of your mindset and how you approach things. And one of the things I've been told is that you really like to embrace uncertainty. Uh, is that sort of a 
something that is just an outsider's point of view that I've been told, or is that something that's sort of key to you guys? No, I think that I think that's true. You know, the um, the original formulation of the of the organization it, um, it was quite unique, actually. The the fellow who founded it um, was just thinking about the sort of organization that would be um, able to thrive in the in, in the future. So this would be back in the sort of late 80s. He, he was thinking about what are the characteristics of an organization that, if built today, um, could could thrive for 100 years. Um, and what he what he came up with at that time was that you needed to collect um, the smartest people that you could um, create create a a culture um, in which they were they were uh, able to successfully collaborate with one another instead of compete because a lot of times when you get these really high achieving high capability people you put them together and they end up um, it ends up being a bit of a um, uh, well a, a shark tank you know a very competitive uh, competitive atmosphere. And um, this fellow's name was Roy. Said, "Well, what if I could get the cultural elements right so that we uh, we all built on one another's strengths and, and we're, could achieve more as a collective than, than we could as individuals?" And that was the idea behind the company. It wasn't it wasn't a an idea like, "Oh, there's an emerging market in you know uh, financial foreign foreign exchange trading that software could play a really big role in, and so we could exploit that." It it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was how what what would happen if i could create a, an organization out of with this culture and these people um that's the kind of thing that whatever that organization did it would be likely to be successful over the long term um as it happened it, it, the organization in in many ways for the same reasons i got into software that organization that roy created found software was a, a fruitful place for that sort of a uh, um, it needed that sort of thing because it was changing so fast. It was highly technical. It required, you know, it was um, uh, unpredictable to a certain extent. And so, almost from the very origins, there was a uh, there was this this concept of of, of needing to um, uh, be open to a future that is very different from um, your your current your past and your current state. You know, and, and constantly just sort of seek out that um you know the 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 next frontier as it were um and so it's it's been it's been kind of baked into the dna from the very beginning that's brilliant so company founded pretty much on on a mindset and ideology and the actual what we're going to do will come later on but this is how we're going to do things and how we're going to work and let's see where it takes us that can see why you're sort of so excited to work for a company like that um i really like this idea as well of when you have a lot of high-performing individuals together, there is going to be that competitive element. So, how do you manage that? How does sort of ThoughtWorks approach that that idea of collaboration? Yeah. So uh, we there's a couple of, I guess one one of the things we've worked really hard over the years to do is to um, is to keep out um, hierarchical power structures within the organization. Um, now that doesn't mean that you know everybody is um, is is paid the same or has the same job or 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 um, we charge our clients the same for a graduate and a, and a super senior person. No, of course not. It's a, there is there is of course a um, I guess a stratification of expertise and, and experience. But what we what we don't have is we don't have um, this sense of uh, of uh, power-based hierarchies whereby you aren't allowed to do something unless you are of a certain level 
or you aren't empowered to make a decision if you aren't at a certain level or you need to get permission from somebody at a certain level to um, to talk to them or to do something. You know, it's, it's um, there's this there's this kind of this sense that um, any I can learn from anybody. Um, I, I can learn from anybody, whatever the level that they're in, there's some something that they can contribute and some perspective that they'll bring that might be different than mine. And I shouldn't devalue that. And so there's there's this in, there's this culture of flatness, I think, that's been super important um, to to maintain. And it's been really a challenge to maintain that as, as as you grow. You know, it's it's much easier to do that when you're 100 people, 500 people, everyone more or less knows each other one's other's name. Um, when you're an 8,000 person global company um, and you're you're interacting with colleagues that you've you've never even heard of before, um, it, there's there's no reference point other than you know that they're a colleague and so they share the same values and mindset as you. So you you know you 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 um, interact in, in in that way. I think I think we got it right in the in the first five years, five ten years, and it's uh, and it's become important enough that we've we've defended it and and maintained it. In every um, every year since then, you know, from the first interaction you have with someone in an interview through um, the way that you engage with them, if you're uh, leading a project that somebody has joined, or or you're joining a new project that somebody else is, you know, it's it's all it's all consistent, you know. Um, and I, I guess one 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 thing that might illustrate it a little bit is, you know, I often interview people, and one of the things we look for is uh, whether or not uh, people will be able to thrive in an environment where they don't have that hierarchy around them because um, for all the downsides of hierarchy, there are some people that really, that really need it. They need that structure to understand, you know, where they are, whether or not they're progressing and, and that, that sort of thing. And people like that, um, if they, if we don't spot that, that about them when we're uh, evaluating them to join, they often uh, find themselves at sea because there's just, there's no reference points and they don't, they don't have that, um, they don't they don't have that external validation of 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 progress and 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 status, and they they won't be happy in an organization. The ones that that do um, that have that internal and and enjoy and and will thrive usually love the interview process, and they'll say things like, you know, this never felt like an interview. This just felt like a a conversation and an, a two way interchange. And you know, I I know you've been at the organization for 25 years, but I feel like I could ask you anything. And and you know that that's 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 the tone we try to set and maintain all the all the way through, um, all the way through every interaction for as long as somebody's a part of the organization. So I guess maybe that's how we do it. <laughs> so work in progress. <laughs> sounds like a really great process though, and something that you clearly enjoy doing. Uh, I'm probably going to ask you to do a bit of my job for me, but I was just thinking this whole embracing uncertainty and the way you you interview individuals. I think it's something that we need to, in education, be doing more of. And what advice would you give to myself and other teachers in terms of how we're preparing young people to come up and work for companies like you? What what can we do really to to embrace that mindset? Yeah. Um, one one thing that we we have found, and I, I I think this has improved over the years I've been in in the software industry, but. Um, you know, we, we've often found that people that are the most successful, um, you know, never got a proper qualification for uh, for being a software engineer. You know, in some ways, being classically properly trained in computer science or or, or IT or whatever degree it is, um, is not a good predictor of 
of success in the industry um, because in in some you know it's not that it's not that it's a it's not the opposite you know there are successful many many of our people have computer science degrees and are very successful but um, not all of them do and I think there's an awful lot of people that have come from a different career path um, but they've been curious and they've been interested enough to train themselves up on uh, software engineering or computer science or whatever it is and that that takes work and that takes commitment and that takes real real passion and real interest and if you if you have that outside of the workplace well that means that once you join the workplace you, that passion will drive your future learning and growth and success in that industry so i i think um perhaps uh you know and uh, and an, an ability to encourage people that um that they can be successful in industries whether whether or not they've got the right um you know the, the they've taken the classical steps to qualify for that industry um i think there's a lot of talent out there that um is self-selecting out much sooner than um than they could or should and that's bad for them and it's bad for uh it's bad for the software and it's bad for all industries i think um this idea that you have to you have to be properly properly qualified is 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 a problem it holds people back that is for me so brilliant to hear one of the the common questions i get get from parents and rightly so when students have a real passion or degree they want to follow or, or a level choice a lot of parents often want to know well where's where's the career in it and they expect there to be the 20 years ago you go and do this you go into this industry and that that's what you do and getting them to embrace that that saying it doesn't it's for me it's the the skill sets that they learn and they develop and if they're passionate about it they will become good at something and that will come later on they don't need to make that decision at 15 16 17 years old yeah yeah i mean almost any career you'll go into if you're not learning throughout that career constantly learning constantly improving you'll become increasingly irrelevant which then that means that all the training you do to lead you into that career is increasingly less important because it's all it's doing is teaching you how to learn um and it's that 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 love of learning that ability to continue doing so um following which is easier to do if you're following something you're really passionate about um you know that's that's where you get the i, I think people on the path to success definitely the other thing I just want to uh, pick your brains about is then leadership, um, because I think that you and I work in very different industries and uh, schools by the very nature are very hierarchical. And looking at sort of how education promotes leadership, what about for yourself? How do you, you see a good leader? Yeah. Uh, so I, I there's 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 a concept. Um, there's a concept that we use a, a lot and I like the concept. I just don't like the name. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll refer to the, uh, I have to use the name because it'll help people find it, but um, it's called servant leadership. And the reason I, I, I just don't like this, this concept of servitude. I think that's a, um, there's a, there's a strong negative connotation with that. But if you look at the detail under what servant leadership attempts to, to encompass, um, I think it really, it's, really important because it's it's all about um, being connected to people, um, seeing yourself as your fundamental job is not to um, not to you know do the thinking for people or to you know set the 
set the strategy and be the out front person, you know, the, sort of these traditional ideas of leadership. It's all about creating the conditions for other people to succeed. So you, you as a leader become responsible for um, unblocking people, for encouraging people, for building high performing teams, for setting, setting, setting the table so that other people can, can move the pieces successfully. Um, and, and doing so with, with a degree of humility and conductedness that's, um, you know, that, that, that that's really um, empowering for people. And so uh, I, I guess in some ways it turns this concept of um, sort of maybe, maybe a traditional concept of a visible out front leader very much on its head. Um, and I think that is a good way of, that, of describing the way that um, the way that we think about leadership in our organization. Matt, that's that's fascinating. Thank you so much for your, your time. There's so much that I've taken away, and particularly that last one. I think in education there is a almost a feeling that the leadership team need to be front and center all the time. And actually, some of the best leaders I work with are the ones that are trying to embrace this this environment and letting empowering other people and saying, "I trust you to do those jobs." Um, but then again, in our industry, sometimes those ones then get criticised for for not being visible enough and sometimes they can't win and it's really refreshing to hear you say that in terms of um how leadership is is moving forward in the future and what we should be doing yeah yeah i mean leaders leaders are responsible for culture i guess is probably the simplest way of saying all that and if they're not if they're not they if they're not creating the the right uh the right culture then um they're, they're never going to get the results that, that that they're accountable for um, or hold themselves accountable for. So, yeah, I guess I, 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 those, those, that's what that's what good leadership looks like to me. Yeah. Uh, just one more time to a big thank you. Thanks so much, Matt. Yeah. Hey, no problem. I really enjoyed that conversation I had with Matt looking at what his views on good leadership is and the links between leadership and culture. And I've made me reflect sort of all week really about what do I think good educational leadership looks like because do we want our leaders to be those teachers that are down in the trenches with us doing the things that we'd expect picking up on uniform being on the gates is that the leadership that education needs or is there something perhaps more that we should be pushing for Perhaps the leaders that we, we actually need are those that create the cultures where we can have the freedom to do our jobs, know that we sort of have the support and backing of what we're doing and actually create a culture where everyone isn't just sort of accountable to the person above them, but accountable to themselves for the job that they're doing. Um, perhaps you'll accuse me of being idealistic. I completely appreciate that. Uh, but it was really interesting getting those ideas there about how leadership could be something different from what we traditionally think that's everything for today's podcast thank you again for joining us keep adding yourself to the brain can do network on facebook i've been ben stevenson have a great day